Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you and good to be back home. Nicole and I have been overseas for a couple of weeks. Uh, we went to Sweden. I was speaking at a conference there in Uppsala with about 6,000 people from all over Europe and Russia and uh, had a great conference. And so since we were that far, we decided to have a couple of weeks holidays. So we popped over to Norway and uh, meandered through that beautiful country. It was a great, great time. Uh, very restful holiday, very lazy holiday. I actually didn't shave on my holiday. And so I've got a a few whiskers coming together, trying to be a beard, and uh, interesting responses from people. You know, I've had some people say I look uh, younger, uh, others that I look thinner, others that I look intelligent. In fact, someone last night said I look very distinguished. Uh, Someone this morning said I looked very Norwegian. So you can call me Olaf if you want to. Uh, others said I look a little older and a little shabby. So yeah, every, everyone has an opinion. Uh, Nicole actually really likes it, so kind of trumps all the other opinions, doesn't it? Anyway, I am speaking on Noah today, so I'm just getting in character. You know, we have a really committed teaching team around here. We uh, go the extra couple of miles. So anyway, really good to be back home with uh, our church family. Uh, This last Wednesday, our staff gathered for the whole day and had what we do once a year called mid-year reviews. And we just simply get in a room and we listen to the stories of what God's been doing in the church. You heard a little bit about community this morning, but we took time to hear about children's ministry and youth and young adults and life tracks and life groups and missions and community and Casey and Manningham and Chinese. And just a whole day of telling stories. And I tell you what, we were all just so inspired. It's great that God's working in his church. And uh, we've seen so many good things happening this year. Lots of visitors. I think we have over over 1,300 visitors this year with about 800 people uh, joining our church. We've seen hundreds of people commit their lives to Christ. I think we've had 130 baptisms already this year. Attendance is growing. And so, you know, there are a lot of things to be thankful for. Uh, Great to be in a church where God's at work and people's lives are being touched. And so a really good day on Wednesday. And thank you for all that you contribute to make City Life what it is today. Uh, At the moment, we're in a series called Origins, and we've uh, been going right back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and drawing some lessons for our lives today. We've looked at creation, we looked at the fact that we're all made in the image of God and what that means, Uh, we looked at what it means to be lost and what happened because of Adam and Eve's sin, and then last week we looked at the importance of our heart. You know, what's happening in your heart is so very important. If you allow bitterness and anger and jealousy uh, and rage to settle in your heart, that's going to destroy your life, and it's going to do all kind of damage in your relationships, just like we saw with Cain and Abel. And so I hope you've been getting some things out of the messages. Today, we're up to Noah and the ark. Anyone heard of Noah and the ark? Come on, this is the classic Sunday school story. I remember hearing it as a kid. Back in my days, we had what were called flannel graphs. Anyone know what a flannel graph is? This is before DVDs were invented. Not, TV was around. I'm not that old. But uh, a teacher up there with the flannel graph. And come on, this is the classic kid's story. We've got a boat with animals with a rainbow and a lovely lesson about God's faithfulness. And so we had flannel graphs and coloring books. We even had a song back when I was a kid. It went like this. Mr. Noah built an ark. The people thought it quite a lark. Mr. Noah pleaded so. But in into the ark they would not go. The rain came down in torrents. Splash, splash. The rain came. D- <laughs> you don't remember that? 
You don't re- how many remember that? Come on. Five, 10, 15 people. You young people don't know what you missed. I tell you what, Noah and the ark. It's a, it's a great story, but you know what? If you're really honest, it's not really a kid's story. If, if you're into movies, it's a bit more like Contagion and the Day After Tomorrow than Bambi and Lion King. I mean, it's a pretty horrific story. I mean, most of the people die. Other than Noah and his family and a few animals, everyone else is wiped out. And so it's not really a, a G-rated story. But this story has generated a lot of interest. In fact, there's been movies made about the story. Got a couple of slides coming up now. Anyone see Evan Almighty? A couple of you. It was an almighty flop, apparently, in the box office, but a movie about Noah and the Ark. We've got Russell Crowe in character there for you. He's working on another movie on Noah. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it'll be out in 2014. So there's been movies made about this story. We've got theme parks around the world. There, you might have been to you know, Disneyland, but there are Noah's Ark theme parks. Five of them are in America. Yeah, that figures. Uh, there's even one in Hong Kong, I hear, and one in Armenia. Why Armenia? Because they can see the mountains of Ararat from the theme parks. So we've had movies and theme parks. Uh, Back in the 80s, there were actually some Indiana Jones types who reckoned they discovered Noah's Ark. Anyone remember that? All these reports of they found Noah's Ark. Uh, Trouble was, uh, no one really knows where the Ark landed. The Bible says it landed on the mountains, plural of Ararat, no specific mountain. And unfortunately, when they dated the wood, it was only as old as about the 5th century since Christ. So no one's yet discovered the Ark, but this story has generated a lot of interest. And so let's look at it today. If you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 6. In fact, uh, this story uh, is given four complete chapters, which is really quite a large chunk when you think that Genesis 1 to 11 is prehistory, the history of the world. Genesis 12 to 50 is the story of Israel beginning with Abraham. So in this prehistory, we have four whole chapters given to the story of Noah and the ark. Just relax. I'm not going to read all four chapters today because I know you guys want to get to lunch in a little bit. And so we're going to read verses 1 to 8, which is a little bit of a summary of the story that is then going to follow. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And so let's have a listen to this story. Genesis 6 verses 1 to 8. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any of them they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Now, just pause here. In Genesis 5, you'll read that some of the guys were living till over 900 years of age. Uh, Long lifespans. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. So uh, God's pulling it back a bit. How many would like to live to 120? Not many. Obviously, you're not enjoying your life (laughs) at the moment. So uh, we'll keep reading. Verse 4. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For wherever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. He regretted that he had made them and put them on the earth. 
It broke his heart. One translation says it troubled him deeply. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I am sorry that I ever made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but just that summary introduction raises a whole bunch of questions like, uh, who are these sons of God intermarrying with women? Uh, some scholars think they're fallen angels. Other people think that there may be a noble royal race. Others think they're the, the descendants of Seth, the godly line, intermarrying with the ungodly line. We're not sure. Who are these sons of God? And, and who are these Nephilites, Nephilim, these uh, you know, unusual people? Are, are they giants? Are they heroic warriors? Who are they? And and uh, other questions like, well, what about this flood? Uh, how wide is it? Is it local or regional or global? And, and, and what about God? I thought God was a loving God. Uh, he's wiping everybody out. What, what kind of a God would do that? And so right away, we have a whole bunch of questions that emerge just as we introduce this story. And so let, let, let's work through it. First of all, we'll see that this story starts with a major problem. If you go back to Genesis 1, when God had finished creating the world, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. God created a world that was a paradise, very good. Then in Genesis 3, we have Adam and Eve who sin and sin enters the world. And Genesis 4, we have one act of violence. Cain kills his brother Abel. Then within 10 generations from one act of sin and one act of violence, look at verse 5. It says, now wickedness has filled the earth. Everyone thinks and imagines only evil. And so a world that started good, started as a paradise, has been spiraling downwards. People have rejected God. They've rejected his ways that lead to life. They're living against his rules. They're starting to destroy one another, violence and evil. And it's like the world is spiraling down towards its total destruction. It's, it's a really sad, sad story that within 10 generations, something that God created good is now starting to self-destruct. Now, you need to know that there have been discovered a number of other flood stories uh, in our generation. I've got a couple of pictures of them coming up now. Uh, two of them I'll highlight uh, are tablets that have been written in Babylonian or Akkadian, and they also have flood stories. We have a number of flood stories, and what's amazing is there's some incredible similarities between these Babylonian flood stories and the story that we have in the book of Genesis. We've got uh, similarities in the, the content or the materials used for the ark, similar description of the size of the ark, similar description of the flood and of uh, the person on the flood letting out birds to try to find dry land and then landing and letting all the animals out and then offering a sacrifice to God. These flood stories almost look like they're aware of each other. It doesn't mean that the biblical record isn't true or that this copied the other or the other copied this. It just shows us that there obviously was a huge flood in the ancient world. But there are some major differences between the stories. Uh, many of the stories don't give a reason why the flood occurred. Only one does, uh, and that's the Atrahasis epic. Uh, there's also the Gilgamesh epic, for those that have done a little bit of study in archaeology. But the Atrahasis epic says the reason the flood happened is because all the gods were upset because humans had got a little bit noisy. 
Athena or one of the gods is losing sleep. And so the people have become too noisy and so the gods send a flood. Sounds a little bit, little bit like the Grinch, doesn't it? You know, he's uh, upset at the commotion down in Whoville. Uh, that might have gone over your head. The Bible account alone gives us a reason for the flood that's more than just a trivial, the gods are losing a little bit of sleep. The Bible tells us that there is a moral reason for this huge catastrophe. Wickedness and evil and corruption and violence had filled the world. And this isn't just an angry God who's losing a little bit of sleep, having a a bit of a tantrum. No, God is responding to this problem of pervasive evil in his creation. And so we have this major problem of evil filling the world. And then uh, secondly, we have God's response. Look at verse 6 with me again. The Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. The author of Genesis is bringing us face to face with the God of Israel. He's inviting us into the heart of God. And here you don't find an angry tyrant. You almost find a grieving, troubled parent who's disappointed. And we see that God isn't an unfeeling God that kind of made the world and withdrew himself. That's not aware. God created this world to be amazingly good. And as he's looking at the destruction taking place, his heart is broken. You can feel a pathos, a pain, a disappointment in God that people are destroying his world and destroying each other. And there's this agony going on in the heart of God. Pretty hard for us to fully understand that, but I think even as humans, we can understand if we just think about our own world. Just a couple of trivial examples. Maybe you're a gardener. Imagine planting a garden and maybe putting a bunch of seeds in as a vegetable patch, and you put all this work planting this garden. And you come back in the afternoon, and a dog has come through and ripped up, dug up all of your garden. How do you feel? Depends if you're a dog lover or not, huh? Well, your dog lovers, so we go, yeah. How, how would you feel? Or maybe you've just mopped the kitchen floor. It's sparkling clean. And then a bunch of kids come in with muddy boots and they trample all through your kitchen. How do you feel? Some of you have never mopped the kitchen <laughs> floor. Uh, maybe you've just bought a new car and, and you go up to the shopping center and someone gets a key and goes along and scratches your car. I can tell you guys love cars more than gardens and clean floors. You could just feel the value system reflected in your response. How do you feel? If you could take those feelings there, put them together and multiply them a billion times, you'd just get a tinge of what God was feeling. I created this world to be good, and they are destroying it and each other. Martin Luther King once said, that there can be no deep disappointment where there is no deep love. Think about that. There's no deep disappointment without there, unless there's deep love. And because God loves his world, he's disappointed with the chaos that it's become. And so how does God respond? He decides to send a flood using the destructive power of water to turn back the corruptive power 
of evil. This judgment of God has to be taken into perspective. Uh, This isn't just an angry, rash reaction. This is God bringing justice to his world. And we're told in the book of Peter that God was patient during the days of Noah. I mean, God's let 10 generations go by. It's almost self-destructing. He's been patient. And Peter tells us that Noah was preaching and warning people about the coming flood. And so God, in his justice, decides to do something with his world. And the waters of chaos are going to reverse the creation that he made so very good. As I said, there are lots of debates today about whether the the flood was local or regional or global. And really all the author focuses on is their known world was flooded and everything was covered. And so the author just wants us to know that there was a flood and who caused it and why it came. It doesn't go into all the scientific details of what took place. But amazingly, in the midst of God's judgment of the world, we also see God's grace. Look at verse 8 with me again. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Just when you think everything's hopeless and God's going to abandon his creation, it's all going to be over. Suddenly there's someone who appears on the scene. His name's Noah. We don't know a lot about him, but we're told that he's righteous. He's not perfect because after the flood, he gets drunk and sin enters the world uh, in manifestation once again, even in the new creation. He's not perfect, but he walks closely with God and he finds the favor of God. And the story goes on. Uh, He creates an ark and his preserved, his family, the animals, they come out of the ark and God makes a covenant with them. This is the first use of the word covenant in the Bible. Look at verse 18 of Genesis 6. I will confirm my covenant with you. This is another unique thing in the Bible record. The other stories that we looked at from Babylonia, they don't mention any covenant. See, the God of Israel is not only one God and compared to the polytheism of the uh, pagan religions, he's a God who's relational. He says, I want to form a covenant with you. I want to be in relationship with you. The pagan gods were distant. They were gods of nature. Remember the story of Elijah. He's in a cave and there's a wind and then an earthquake and then a fire. But it says God was not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. Where was God? God was in the still, small voice. That's a major theological statement. The God that we worship is not the God in nature. He created nature and he's a speaking, talking, relating God. So God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so they come out of the ark and there's a a new covenant, a new arrangement, some new commandments. There's a rainbow. Anyone love rainbows? I love rainbows. They're so beautiful. I love a double rainbow. Uh, You know, a rainbow is a promise to creation and a reminder to God that he will never again flood the earth. Look at Genesis 9 with me. Genesis 9 verses 14 and 15. God says, when I send the clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant with you with all the living creatures never again. Everyone say never again. One more time. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. What a great promise. God has promised to never again flood the earth with water. You know, the rainbow is actually a bow. I know that's really deep. And a bow is a weapon of warfare. 
And by putting the rainbow in the sky, God's saying, I've put my weapon down. I will no longer judge the earth with the flood. The weapon is down, and we're now in a time of God's peace and Sabbath and blessing. And so he sends the rainbow. There's a fresh commission and blessing. Be fruitful, multiply. Uh, How many know sin isn't eradicated? No, sin continues. We are hopeless to save ourselves. We need God. But thankfully, God doesn't abandon his creation. And what looked like a hopeless situation, God turns around and there's a fresh start, a fresh beginning. We could talk a lot more about the story of Noah, but let's just make a couple of reflections in our remaining few minutes. Jesus said that the last days would be very similar to the days of Noah. And I just want to make a couple of reflections from my prayer over the scriptures. First of all, I think the story challenges us to, number one, think about God. To think about God. See, this story is not primarily about Noah, the ark, the rainbow, the angels, the flood. They're kind of secondary. The story is primarily about God. It's telling us what he is like. And it challenges us to think about what God's nature and character really is. I was reading a book by Scott McKnight recently uh, called One Life. Very good book. And in the uh, book, he tells a story of listening to a student chatting with a professor of the Old Testament at a, a theological college. And the student said something like this, I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament. That God is full of wrath and judgment and hell. The God of the New Testament, however, is full of grace and truth and love and peace. We Christians believe in a New Testament God. Interesting statement to make to a professor of the Old Testament. And Scott was listening on and thinking, hmm, I wonder what he's going to say. Well, he smiled. He was very polite. And he said to this young girl, he said, well, actually, the God of the Old Testament is the God that Jesus came to reveal. And if you want to talk about judgment, Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else. And the Old Testament never mentions hell as we know it today. And finally, he said, did you know the God of the Old Testament is a God of grace and compassion? Hmm. What do you think? Sometimes we can buy into this modern idea that maybe the Old Testament God was a little bit grumpy and then he kind of got uh, reformed, had some counseling and got a little nicer by the time of Jesus. This kind of progressive development of God. No, no, no. Did you know there's a lot of grace in the Old Testament? Ask Noah, ask Rahab, the prostitute, ask Ruth, ask David. There's a lot of grace in the Old Testament. And you know what? There's a fair bit of judgment in the New Testament. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. And so we've got to watch that we don't end up with a bit of a distorted view of God. Now, some of you uni students have studied sociology. And if you've done some sociology studies, you would be aware of a man named Emile Durkheim. Uh, Over 100 years ago, he did some studies on people groups, and he noticed that all around the world, every people group has some kind of belief in God. Without fail, wherever you go, there's some belief in a deity. But he noticed that although belief in God is universal, every group has a different view of what God is like. And he was puzzled by that. Everyone believes in God, but they all have a different picture of God. And so he started doing extensive studies amongst people groups. He studied the Aborigines here in Australia. This is what he found out. Every people group, every tribe have some values or traits that they hold highly. And they often look to something in nature or an animal that 
that epitomizes those values. So, for instance, uh, you may have heard of the phrase, uh, he's as strong as a ox, she's as sly as a, he's as wise as a, now, you know what you call that? You call that a totem. Anyone heard of a totem pole? A totem is a symbol or a sign that epitomizes those values. And so these tribes would get these values and traits, select some animal. So maybe agricultural people, they'll select the sun and maybe the rain. Or ocean people will, will pick the sea and the moon. They'd pick different objects and animals and they would lift it up. And eventually they'd start to worship this particular part of nature. It would become a deity. It would be the source of their inspiration. And he found this universal. So his conclusion was, if people create something that reflects their own values and worship it, in the end, who were they actually worshiping? Themselves. What a profound thought. And you don't need sociology to teach you that. The Bible, in Romans 1, Paul said, the creation rejected the creator and worshipped the creation instead of God. And our biggest danger today is to make a God in our own image. George Bernard Shaw once said, God created us in his image and we decided to return the favor. You'll get that after lunch like the little boy in Sunday school who was drawing a picture and the Sunday school teacher said, what are you drawing? He says, I'm drawing God. She goes, you can't draw God. No one knows what God looks like. And without a blink, he says, they will when I'm done. (laughs) Is God just a blank page for you to draw your own picture of? And we laugh at all these native people groups. How many know in our civilized, educated Western world, we still create gods in our own image. Paul's greatest fear was that people would create a Jesus that wasn't like the real Jesus. The great thing for us as followers of Christ is we don't have to create our own image of God. We, we serve a God who reveals himself to us. And one of the reasons we read the Bible is to see what God's like. And so as we read the story of Noah and the ark, we've got to say, what is this telling me about the God who is? What is he like? And I think a challenging point as we do that is from Romans eleven twenty two. 22. Have a look at this verse, will you? Uh, this is in the New Testament. This is Paul, the apostle of grace. And look what he says. Notice how God is both kind. Everyone say kind. And severe. Everyone say severe. Oh, what are you saying, Paul? Notice. In the Greek, it means consider, think about. Think about the fact that God is kind and severe, some translations put stern. He is severe towards those who disobey, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. Whoa. Paul's saying if you want an accurate picture of God, you've got to see both his kindness and his severity. Some people lean one way. We have people that focus on the severity and make God an angry tyrant. We get other people that go the other way and God's kind and we kind of make him into a lenient grandparent who still gives the kids lollies at the end of the day, even though they've been misbehaving all day. Paul's saying, think about the kindness and the severity of God and avoid a caricature of going to either extremes. See, the story of Noah is, yes, an encouragement that God is a gracious God. It's also a warning that God takes disobedience seriously. 
Of course, the good news is although we're seeing a judgment story so early in the human race, we know at the end of Revelation there's another judgment story. But how many know in the middle there's a cross? And on the cross, righteousness and mercy met each other and mercy triumphed over judgment. And because of the cross, Jesus took our judgment. And just like Noah found grace and Abraham found grace and Israel found grace, how many know we can find grace with God today? Come on, give Jesus a clap this morning. Jesus took our judgment. But let's, let's not create a God that has no judgment, no justice, that doesn't take sin seriously. And uh, we, we serve a God who has feelings and uh, he actually wants the best for our life. In fact, there's a great scripture in Jeremiah 2.13 that demonstrates the heart of God. He, he says through Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the source of living water, and they've made for themselves broken containers that cannot contain life. What's the heart of God? He's not just this jealous, insecure God that wants us to worship him and nobody else. He wants to give us life. And he knows when we go after an idol and an idol is anything we look to for our ultimate source of life. He knows when we go after idols that we will ultimately be disappointed. And so he's a God that wants the best for us. And when we're running in the opposite direction, his heart is moved and grieved. And so we, we, we serve a God who we need to love. And we need to talk a lot about the love of God. But we also serve a God who we need to fear. We don't hear a lot about the fear of God. Uh, fear doesn't mean dread, but it means respect. It means reverence. God is to be loved and to be feared. Uh, the fear of the Lord simply means being aware that God's with us all the time. In fact, if you could live your life this week knowing that God's with you every moment, you would live a much smarter life. <laughs> the Pro book of Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, if you could just be aware God's with you at every moment, you'll make some smarter decisions. Uh, how many know when you're driving down the freeway, if you see a police car, even if they're not chasing you, they may not even be looking at you. Just knowing they're there affects how you drive. Come on. You check your seatbelt. You definitely pull back to the speed limit slowly, just gradually. You even indicate when you change lanes. What a novel thought. Like some of you could benefit with a police car just going with you all the time. You, Melbourne would be a better place. Now, 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 what's happening? Just the awareness. and the, they're, they're good people. They're, they're, they're out there to help us enjoy the ride. They're, they're not bad people. You know, just the awareness of the police car helps you think about the choices you make. That's what the fear of the Lord is like, you know? If you realize God was with you when you're on the internet, you go, hey, what are, we, what are we looking at today? You'd think about where you go. You're on that phone call. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? Just God being with us all the time. Uh, it's not a big God with a big stick. It's about us living life in a way that leads to life. And so this story, I think, challenges us to think about God, to see him as he really is. Number two, I think Noah is a great example for us. Uh, Hebrews 11 in the Heroes of Faith says, By faith Noah uh, built an ark. What an example of trust and faith in God. And what an example of obedience. You know, as I read this story numbers of times, what's amazing is in the full four chapters, I mean, Enoch's given a couple of verses, Noah gets four chapters. You know, in the four chapters, Noah never speaks. We have not one record of one word 
that Noah said. He does not speak in this narrative at all. But four times it says this about Noah. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Genesis 6.22, 7.5, you read it. He never spoke a word, but he obeyed everything God told him to do. I was pretty challenged by that. I do a lot of talking. I wonder if I did a little less talking and a little bit more obeying. But what a great example Noah is for us who are followers of Christ. Noah was also described as righteous, not perfect, but he was a light in his world. Uh, Peter, 2 Peter 2 says he was a preacher, a proclaimer, a herald of righteousness. And so what does it look like as you and I are here today in our generation to, to be light in our world, to be letting our deeds shine as well as our words shine? That's why we have community care. We don't want to be a congregation that kind of comes to church on a weekend, goes to work, school, watches TV, and that's kind of our week. Well, what are we doing for others? Who are we praying for that they would come to Christ? How are we using our deeds and our actions to show the love of Jesus? Noah is a great example. Uh, we can't control people's responses, but we can be God's people in our generation. And then number three, final thought. I think the story of Noah tells us, reminds us that God hasn't forgotten us. Let's look at chapter 7 and a little verse right at the end in verse 24. Uh, God put Noah in the ark and God shut the door. Seven days went by and nothing happened. Uh, how would you have felt in that first week? I reckon about the sixth day if I was Noah, I'd be going, hey God, didn't you say something about rain? Seven days, nothing happened. Then for 40 days, it rained. <laughs> Did it rain? And then for 110 days, Everything went quiet. Look at chapter 7, verse 24. The floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. Whoa. They, they were actually on the ark about a year. Uh, 150 days. And look at chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind. Sounds like Genesis 1, verse 2, doesn't it? A wind, the Spirit, to blow across the earth. And the floodwaters began to recede. Imagine you're in the ark. You've obeyed God. You've told God. Uh, so you've done exactly what God told you to do. There's floods. There's chaos everywhere. And over five months go by and God's on mute. God's silent. God's not talking. Nothing's happening. And it's like, hey, God, have you forgotten me? Ever felt forgotten by God? It's a, it's a terrible thing to feel forgotten. Uh, many times in the Psalms, the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, people, God, God, have you forgotten me? And what an amazing verse we have here. It says, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah in the flood, in the chaos. And he began to send a wind of his spirit to blow into that chaotic situation. And the waters began to recede. Well, what a promise for us today. Let's be honest. As we look at our world, our world has, still has a lot of chaos. There's floods everywhere. Just think about wars that are going on right as we speak. Christians who have been persecuted for their faith right now. Poverty, injustice, the asylum seeker issue. I mean, there's just so much chaos. And think of people in those situations wondering, God, have you forgotten me? God, are you there? 
this story would tell us that God is a God who doesn't forget. He remembers us and he wants to move and to work on our behalf. I love what Paul says in Romans 8. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? What's he saying? God doesn't forget you. Doesn't mean there won't be times of chaos and flood, but God remembers us. And in the end, chaos will not have the last word. The God who is over the flood, over the chaos, will not abandon his creation. He will remember us and he will bring hope into our world. Are you thankful for that today? Come on, give Jesus another clap today. God remembering us. You know, I... uh, meet with some pastors regularly in Melbourne, great fellowship, great unity, and uh, us and our spouses have been inviting uh, numbers of pastors to our home just for prayer, praying for our city, praying for the churches in Melbourne, Anglicans, Baptists, Pentecostals, uh, uh, Churches of Christ, all different denominations, we're all on the same, same team. And uh, just this last Thursday, we had a meeting, uh, Dale Stevenson from Crossway in his home, and we're just sharing some stories of what God's doing in our churches and just some testimonies from people's lives. And uh, uh, Dale told a story of two young adults in their church, and they've been talking a little bit about just learning to be led by the Spirit, even through the week, as we do here too. And uh, a great story, this uh, young girl and guy were just walking out in a shopping center, and there was a man at a bus stop, a big bushy beard, uh, looked a bit like a hell's angel, pr- pretty uh, mean-looking character. And uh, this girl said as she was just looking at him, she felt a prompting to, to, to go and tell him that God loves him. She quickly pushed that out of her mind, said, that can't be God. And as she kept walking, it came again. Just go and tell him God loves him. She says, no, no way am I doing that. Uh, they actually walked past the bus stop. And she says, I couldn't resist it. How many know that we all have what we could call a chicken line? <laughs> where, where we're chicken? She crossed the chicken line. <laughs> and, and, and she said to her friend, I just got to go do something. She went back and she said, excuse me, sir, this may seem really, really stupid. And it's a bit embarrassing, but I just feel to tell you that God loves you. And he was okay. He didn't get upset. And they had a little chat and talked. And uh, they, they exchanged phone numbers. And um, it, it was a positive experience. And she left and she you know, kind, of, kind of took a big breath. She just did what God told her to do. And, and it went really, really well. And uh, they went off and finished their day. The next day, um, her phone was ringing. It was this guy. And he said, uh, I just want to tell you what happened yesterday. Uh, you, you don't know, but uh, I was sitting at that bus stop. And I was about to get on a bus and go home and end my life, commit suicide. And as I was sitting there thinking about doing this, I just in my mind said, God, if if you're real, if you're out there, you're going to have to do something pretty quickly. And then you interrupted me and said, this kind of sounds pretty stupid, but I just need to tell you, God loves you. What, What an amazing story. And I commend the girl for crossing the chicken line, for obeying. But you know, the real hero in this story is God. Here's a man thinking, does God even care I'm here? Has he forgotten me? Has he abandoned me? And God took it to put it on the heart of this little girl to tell this man, God loves you. That's the kind of God we serve. 
He doesn't abandon us. He, f- he doesn't forget us. He remembers us. And so just a few thoughts from the story today. Many more we could share. Many more you may have got from your Bible reading. But I, I pray today that we would think about God accurately. Maybe you're a little bit on the, the sternness of God and you need to see a whole bunch of the kindness of God. Or maybe you are kind of got this teddy bear and you need to just have a little bit more of the fear of God and see the importance of obedience. How does your view of God need to change through this story? Uh, how does Noah inspire you and in how you live your life? And, and finally, I wonder if you're here today and maybe you feel forgotten by God. Maybe you've been praying. <laughs> Maybe you're in a bit of a chaos situation and uh, haven't got a job yet, been unemployed, been praying. Maybe sickness is still there. Maybe there's a relationship that's still not repairing. Maybe there's some chaos, some floodwaters in your life today. And Like, no, it's like, God, have you forgotten me? And I believe the Holy Spirit is here today to say God hasn't forgotten you. He knows your name. And maybe today the wind of the Spirit could blow into your situation. Doesn't deny that there's a flood or there's chaos. But the Spirit of God could flow into your situation and the waters could begin to recede. And a new start, a new creation could happen in your world. That's our prayer for you today. Why don't we stand together? We're going to sing a a beautiful song. uh, One of my favorite songs. He knows my name. And uh, as we sing this song, we're going to make some opportunity to pray for some people. Let me pray just before we do that. Father, thank you for the scriptures which reveal to us your heart. They're not just stories about you. And I pray today that we would know you just as you really are, that we would love you and fear you, that we would follow Noah's example of faith, Lord, to be obedient people who don't just talk but obey and who are lights in our world, serving through our words and our deeds showing the kingdom values. And I pray for anyone here today that feels abandoned, that feels forgotten, that you would remember them, that you would come into their world and Lord, your spirit would begin to cause that situation to change. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.